It's no surprise to you guys, and I watched a, a real short documentary this week when I found a little time to, to see just what um, our, our nation's armed forces go through just for training alone. I was watching kind of a real specific um, training. It was the, uh, the, the jungle trained like the the jungle team and what they go through and you know just i appreciate our nation's armed forces every branch everything that anyone does um from the head to toe every bit of me but watching that stuff makes you go okay uh, uh even more so like wow our nation's armed forces go through the hardest, most difficult training uh, that there is, bar none. Uh, you can't convince me otherwise, so that they can protect our freedom and, and theirs, right? Parents, it's, it's Father's Day, but, but parents, we know uh, we make sacrifices. In fact, we pretty well, I was talking with uh, Kathy's aunt yesterday about this, kind of came up. I'm, I'm like, hey, this is good sermon practice. I'm going to talk about this tomorrow for a moment. Uh, parents sacrifice everything for their children. You know, there, there's moments where I would like to do something very small, just a little bit convenient, you know, like um, wait two minutes for that coffee to finish so I could get it before we go out the door. But it's time to get them to school, and so I'm going to have to drink that later. Like, like even the little things. Like, you sacrifice everything. Big things, little things, you name it. Why? So that those kids will grow up to be adults who honor God and are, are good uh, citizens and, and everything we want them to be, everything they, they need to be. Um, Let's switch gears a little bit. Uh, law students, right? They, they make big sacrifices. If you want to enter into, if you want to be a, a, a lawyer, an attorney, if you want to do that, uh, I, I read this past week that they study on average 400 to 600 hours so that they can take and pass a 12-hour bar exam, all right, so that they can competently enter into a career as an attorney, right? Now, did you notice the two words that were common to all three of those examples? So that, right? Two words, so that. It's amazing what people are willing to do, what people will go through, put themselves through, uh, will come up with and, and execute the plan for what comes on the other side of those two words, so that. Um, as I continued reading through uh, Paul's letter to Titus, we, we're not in the middle of a series or anything, but uh, I've been reading through Titus and studying through Titus on my own, and I was reading through it, in fact, just Sunday night, you know, after we finished our Titus chapter 2 message, uh, Sunday night I was reading through this, and in Titus chapter 3, verse 8, there's a so that statement there that really stuck out to me and went boom. We need to talk about this, right? Uh, so that, and, and you'll see it here in just a moment. And as you might expect, what comes on the other side of the words so that in Titus chapter 3 verse 8 is critically important. However, like all of the statements we've made so far that include so that, you can't get to what comes after the so that until what comes before it is taken care of, right? You can't do Z until X and Y are taken care of. You must do X and Y to get to Z so that Z can happen, right? So I want to bring you a, a message this morning 
It's not called welcome. It's called careful to engage. There it is. Uh, careful to engage. We're going to be looking at Titus chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. Titus chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. It's called careful to engage. And as we read through these eight verses, the first seven, verses 1 through 7, are going to be laying a foundation, right? We need to build on this. This is our X and Y so that we can get to the Z of verse 8, okay? So verses 1 through 7 are going to be foundational. Verse 8 is where we're going to see our so that statement that we really are hammering in on really the, the entire time that we're going to talk here this morning. So take a look, listen very carefully as we read through the text here. Uh, it'll be on the screen, uh, but by all means, if you've got a Bible, flip to Titus uh, chapter 3. And if you don't have a Bible, but you'd like to be looking at a physical copy of a Bible, there's one in front of you uh, in, in the pews there. Titus chapter 3, uh, begin reading with me at verse 1. Paul writes to Titus, he says, remind them to be subject to rulers to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good deed, to malign no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing every consideration for all men. For we also once were foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. But when the kindness of God, our Savior, and His love for mankind appeared, He saved us. Not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit whom He poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by His grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy statement. And concerning these things, I want you to speak confidently so that those who have believed God will be careful to engage in good deeds. These things are good and profitable for men. Now, naturally, I'd like to hem-haw around a little bit and work our way into my point. But uh, I found as I was preparing this week, we don't have time for that. Um, so I'm just going to lay it out here, okay? The Lord's Church struggles uh, quite a bit with what we want to talk about today. We struggle with members who uh, frequently read the Bible, study it, uh, engage it um, at, at a deep level. They, they learn to understand it, and they know exactly what it's saying. Uh, they, they pray. They show up uh, to the assemblies. They're here. They're dedicated. They're committed. Uh, from the outside, we're looking, and we're seeing faithful, faithful people. However... Rarely, and in some cases never, are lifting a finger to, to serve others, to, to help others, to do good deeds for other people, to, to serve the world around them that God created and loves and wants to see saved. They don't see the world like Jesus sees the world, right? We, we know that because they, because they aren't doing things for people, we know they don't have uh, compassion. Jesus had compassion, right? Uh, how many statements are made in the Bible that says Jesus saw them upon seeing them, looking at them, seeing the crowds, right? All these are followed by the words, he had compassion on them, for them, right? And he, he raised a, a, a dead son for a, for a mother, he, he served people. He helped them. He did what they needed to, to be done for them, right? He had compassion that compelled him to serve people, to help people, to provide what they needed. Here's what I want to propose to you this morning, and this is important, so don't, don't miss this. Uh, we often look at the denominational world, and we look at charitable organizations, and we say, wow, look at all the, the good works that they do, all the good things they do, but they don't 
have the truth to go along with it. It's a shame, right? They've got all these good works. It's a shame that they don't have the, the truth to go along with it. But are we so sure that God isn't looking at us and saying, they have the truth. It's a shame they don't have the good works to go along with it. My prayer for this morning's message has been and, and, and is and will be throughout this morning is that Paul's teaching here today might convict us to uh, leave this place with a, a burning desire to do what he's saying here, to be careful to engage in good deeds, okay? So let's jump into this. In the first couple of verses of chapter 3 that we just read, Paul gives Titus these instructions to pass along to the church. He wants him to teach these people these things that would help them and will help us to become prepared to engage. To become prepared to engage, okay? These are uh, qualities here. There are, there are some qualities mentioned here that need to consistently define our character so that we are ready to do these things. Right? We're going to learn, we're going to see and find that, that if you don't have some preparation up front, you're not, you're not, well, you're not prepared. You're not ready to do good works. They'll pass right by you. Opportunities will fly by and you'll miss it because you have not prepared yourself to be ready to engage in these things. You've not been careful to engage. Okay. So, so look again at what, what Paul wrote there. He said, remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready Hear that? To be ready for every good deed. To malign no one. To be peaceable, gentle, uh, showing every consideration for all men. Now you can see right in the middle of this text those words, be ready. That's a preparation statement, right? And Paul's telling uh, Titus to tell the church to be ready for every good deed. Maybe you didn't realize this before, but perhaps the reason we aren't all quite as actively engaged as we, we should, uh, could be and should be for sure, is because we aren't ready. We haven't done the, the necessary things to prepare ourselves, our minds, our hearts, our, our beings, our reputation, you, know, you name it. We haven't prepared ourselves to do these things, to be ready to do these things. There is preparation necessary to engage in good deeds. Maybe that's why you see some people doing it, and you're like, I have a hard time. Uh, like, it's like the jump rope, you know, and I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm going to jump, I'm going to jump, no, hang on. Like, you never feel ready to jump in and do the thing because you haven't done the preparation that it takes to do this, okay? Uh, Paul told a, another young evangelist that preparation is necessary. In fact, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 21, that I'm talking about here, he says that it's necessary to be useful to the master. You know what the opposite of useful is? Worthless. Anybody want to be worthless to God the Father? Or you want to be useful? Hey, listen to this. Prepared for every good work, he says. He says, therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from these things, well, I'll tell you what that is in just a second. If anyone cleanses himself from these things, he will be. So see, there's preparation on the front end. If you do these things, he will be a vessel for honor. Vessel is something that's going to have a, a purpose and a use, right? Vessel for honor. Sanctified. Set apart for a, for a specific purpose. Useful to the master. Prepared for every good work. That statement at the end explains what all that is for, right? All the being a vessel for honor. Being sanctified. All, all that. Useful to the master. All that is to be prepared for every good work. Now, in its context, what's he talking about? He's talking about um, the, the ridiculous uh, arguments that were going on, the squabbling over words and genealogies and things like that. And also there was some really wicked, evil, dangerous, false doctrine going on. You stay out of all that. You cleanse yourself from that kind of stuff. And Paul's like, man, that's the preparation you need 
to be ready. Man, if you're engaged in that and you're arguing about and genealogies and you're, you're arguing about, you know, words. And, well, somebody said this. He wouldn't have said that if he didn't mean. You know, if, if you're engaged in that, it's real hard to look up and see where people need served where help needs to, to, to happen, and you need to be the one providing it, okay? So there's preparation, right? He says, in doing so, we'll be prepared for every good work and we'll be useful, we'll become useful to the master. Uh, this, is, this is important, guys. Uh, um, good works without a good heart isn't really all that good. Right? We need to cleanse ourselves of things. We need to get ourselves ready. We need to get our heart and our mind good so that we can do good. It, again, you try to do good when your life is a, a, a mess. And I don't mean, we've all got drama and junk going on. I don't mean that. But I mean when you haven't tried to, to sanctify yourself, to participate in that, that ongoing sanctification. And you haven't cleansed yourself of the gossip and the lies and the false doctrine. You know, when that's the mess you're in, you try to do good works, they ain't going to be all that good. And they aren't going to be consistent whatsoever. It's going to be a little flash here and a little flash there. And eventually it'll be nothing. It'll become what we see in a lot of the church today. Just being honest. A whole bunch of nothing. Okay, so we've got to get ourselves ready. Okay. Um, let's look quickly at, at what Paul tells Titus to teach the church here, okay? Uh, let's look at these specific things here. First of all, he says uh, they need to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good deed. So church, like it or not, we need to do these things. Like it or not, we need to behave respectfully and obediently toward our government. Uh, so far as we aren't being asked to disobey God or to dishonor God, we're to submit to the laws of the land, to pay our taxes, to pray for our president, to help our mayor, uh, to be kind and respectful and honorable to police officers, and uh, you name it, so on and so forth, all of that kind of stuff. And this gets forgotten a lot. People get all fired up in today's, you know, um, political arena. Um, and, you know, they take it out on anybody that's remotely associated with the government. And they post it on Facebook. And they order the t-shirt. And they fly the flag. And you, you, you name it. I don't mean the flag. I mean they fly some flag with something on it. You know, uh, I've seen some people that go to some, some, go to some churches that are flying some pretty nasty flags. Don't let that be one of you guys. Don't let me catch you doing that. Don't let God catch you doing that garbage, all right? But, but we can't be like this, right? We need to be, as God-fearing people, we need to be uh, an example of righteousness here. We need to be a, a good example. And this is all part of being ready as well, right? We know it's the right thing to do. We know it's a great example. But it's part of the preparation that's necessary to be able to do good works, okay? And not only do we have this all over the Bible telling us this. I mean, you think of Romans. You think of many places where Paul talked about uh, honoring and respecting uh, rulers and authorities, these kinds of people. But we even have examples. Think back in the Bible. Think of guys like, like Joseph and uh, um, Daniel and Esther, you know, think of the great things they did for God, the way they glorified God through their lives, through these good, respectful, honorable interactions with rulers and authorities, heathen kings, heathen nations, pagan places. But because they were respectful to these people, God was glorified. And they rose to prominent levels and did things for God's people, uh, were great examples for us today. Think about that. It, it's all over. They were prepared for those moments, right? 
because they weren't out there uh, bashing and refusing to pray for these people. They were respectful and honorable, okay? There, there are so many important ways that Christians can and must make themselves ready for every good deed, like, like Paul says there at the end of verse 1. Now, when we get to verse 2, Paul says, to malign no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing every consideration for all men. Um, can we just keep it pretty simple and consider how difficult it would be to do the good deeds, to be ready for every good deed if we were the opposite of what Paul's teaching here? I mean, can you imagine? Can you imagine, consider how difficult it would be to actively engage in good works, good deeds, if we were known for the opposite of these things, if we were known for the bad things that we're always saying about people, if we were known for the way that we like to stir things up, if we were known for our brash behavior and our harsh words, if we were known for a selfish attitude and a refusal, that person never sacrifices anything for anybody else's needs or desires. What if we were known for that? Can't you see the, the, the uh, roadblocks, I mean hurdles at, at best, roadblocks at worst and very likely to being able to do good works, to be able to do something that someone would even accept as genuine? I mean that would, be, that would create a very difficult uh, situation. But on the flip side, if we do what Paul is saying, can't you see the amazing foundation we've created? This amazing foundation that would be laid for, for active engagement in good works, in, in good deeds. If we were known for all of this, if we were known for always having something good to say about people, right? We, we can come up with something, right? If we were known for that. If we were known for always getting along with people, being gentle and always showing every consideration for every one. You know, that person has just always been an over backwards for, for people that I don't even know if they hardly know that person, right? What if we were known for that? Everything we did would be golden in people's eyes. Can you see the foundation this leads, how these things prepare us to engage in good deeds? Now, in the next handful of verses, Paul reminds Titus of some critical, uh, you can call them historical facts uh, if you want to, that are meant to cause us to become prompted to engage. We, we need this, okay? After understanding our need to become prepared to engage, we get this reminder that should prompt us to engage in good deeds. Look at verses 3 through 7 with me again. It's going to be a little small, a little crammed in here, but uh, if you've got your Bible on your lap, you're in good shape. Otherwise, uh, do the squint thing. I won't laugh at you, all right? He says, for we also once were foolish ourselves. Okay, listen to how that starts. After all this information that we just talked about, for we also once were foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. But when the kindness of God our Savior and His love for mankind appeared, He saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we've done in righteousness, but according to His mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit whom He poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by His grace we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Now, that word for that I emphasized there, that word for at the beginning of verse 3 tells us that what's being said here is connected to what's just been said, right? This is a kind of because statement or because of all this sort of statement, right? It's connected to this idea of preparing ourselves. This is connected to the idea of us submitting ourselves to rulers and to authorities and not maligning people and showing every consideration for all men. It's connected to all this. We should do these things, become prepared in this way, because we were once those who needed that help. We were caught up in these things and we were lost. But God, praise God, we received the help from Him that, that we needed. 
even when we didn't realize that we were needing it. We didn't necessarily know what the problem was um, while we were yet sinners at just the right time, right? We know, we know what the Bible says. That's when, he sent the, that's when he sent Jesus. That's when it happened. The Lord was good to us when we needed it, and this should prompt us to engage in good works. I think of the slave in Matthew chapter 18. You remember, remember this, this story that Jesus told in Matthew chapter 18, uh, I, I'm not going to quote it. We're not going to necessarily flip there, but you can mark it if you're a, a note taker. But in Matthew chapter 18, remember that slave who uh, owed his master a, a sum of money that it was so vast he would never be able to repay it. What did he ask for? Anybody remember what he asked for? The slave who couldn't pay back the debt. What did he ask for? You remember? Starts with a P, ends with patience. Yeah, boy, you guys are sharp. You know, you, you guys must get up really early because you were like wide awake to answer a question like that. Good job. He asked for patience. You remember what the master gave him? Compassion. He, he didn't say no to the patience, but he didn't give him the patience. He gave him compassion. And it says he, he forgave the whole debt and it says released him. So the debt was paid and he was released. Free man, free to go. Remember what he went and did? Went down and tracked, one of, tracked down one of his fellow slaves, grabbed a hold of the guy, physically put hands on him, and literally tried to choke the money out of the guy. That guy fell to the ground, the Bible says. And when he fell to the ground, remember what he asked for? Patience. Yeah, hopefully it won't show up in the video that I gave you the answer. Yeah. Oh. Patience. Sound familiar? He asked for patience, and he didn't get it. That, that freed slave, that forgiven slave, he went and choked, tried to choke the money out of the guy. The guy said, you know, have mercy on me. Get, give me patience. Here, I need patience. Have patience with me, he says. He didn't get it. Instead, he had him locked up in prison until he could repay the debt. And everybody who hears that story has the same reaction. Why? Right? You don't even have to be a, a quote-unquote believer to go, that's not right. Right? But we go, why? Why would he do that? You see, we all, everybody inherently understands that, that truth that Jesus brought up in Luke chapter 7, that he who is forgiven much loves much. You know, somebody lifts a burden off your shoulders like that, and, and you want to go and tell the world. You want to go and help other people. You want to go and show other people how, how they could have maybe the same thing done, or, or at least tell them about how it was so good for you, right? That's how it's supposed to work. That's the right thing to do, right? In Titus chapter 3, verses 3 through 7 that we're looking at here right now, Paul's reminding Titus that God has forgiven us of so much, and he has set us free. We were foolish. We were disobedient. We were deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, uh, engaged in malice and envy and hatred, he says. But God saved us according to his mercy, right? When we reached out to him, for that, when we said, you know, God have patience with me, and he's like, well, I got another plan. How about this, right? When we reached out to him in mercy, we obeyed the gospel. When we were immersed for the forgiveness of our sins, when we were given uh, his Holy Spirit to live within us, that, that washing of regeneration, that renewing by the Holy Spirit, he made us, it says, heirs, right? He gave us that, that hope by making us heirs when he wrote us into his will as those who were going to receive eternal life from him. Whew. That ought to prompt us to engage in some good deeds. We also need to understand that it's not just about feeling, like, like getting emotional and feeling like we should do good deeds. Well, so much has been forgiven me, I guess. 
I probably should, you know. It, it can't just be emotional. It can't just be a, a feeling. In fact, we touched on it last week just a little bit, that it's part of our purpose, right? So, so it, it's command, really. I mean, we should feel the, the, the weight of, wow, this has been lifted off of our shoulders. We've been forgiven. We've been set free. Don't go strangling anybody. Not somebody else who owes a debt like you. Not another sinner who's engaged in a sin that you may find disgusting. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Don't go choking the money out of them. Don't go choking the sin out of them. Go and love them. Show them the truth. And show them uh, the patience. Have compassion on them like Jesus would. That's our, part of our purpose is to go and, and do this. Again, we saw in part of our text last week in, uh, I said Luke, Titus chapter 2. Verses 11 through 14 says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men. So we're talking about salvation here. Instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior. Who's that? Christ Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed. He did all of that. And to purify for himself a people for his own possession. And there's one of the reasons why. And here's a description of those people. Zealous for good deeds. He wanted to purify for himself a people. His own, his own possession. We're in the, the palm of his hand. He's like, these, these are mine. They're zealous for good deeds. His people are to be ready to engage in good deeds. His people are prompted to do good deeds. His people are zealous for good deeds. That begs the question, are you zealous for good deeds. His people are. That's the purpose for why he, he sent his son to redeem us, to, to purify us. That's why he wants us to, to become purified. That's part of our purpose. His redeemed and purified people are zealous for good deeds. Now, finally, once we are prepared to engage and then hopefully prompted to engage, uh, we must become profitably engaged. Now you may wonder why I say that or you may have uh, really focused in on the text. I can't read through one, one time and, and, and really catch things so uh, I'm, I'm just messing with you. You're going to see why, why we say profitably. Okay? The preparation that we've discussed is a must so that we're in that good position, okay? A good position to engage, so that we're trusted by others when we seek to engage, and so that we can, we can actually see those opportunities to engage. And the prompting that we just talked about uh, a second ago, that we just finished up, that's, that's a must as well, so that we engage from a proper perspective with the right motivation, understanding why we're doing what we're doing, not just doing the right thing because somebody preached it to us and told us this was the right thing to do, but because we understand why we're doing this. This is part of our purpose. We're a purified, redeemed people, Zealous for good deeds, baby. Let's go. We need to have that right motive, that right understanding. Now, with that, that preparation, that prompting understood and, and in place, we see that it's time to actually do it now. It's time to launch. It's time to engage. As those who believe God, we see in verse 8, as those who believe God, have believed God, it's time to participate in the good deeds that Paul has been saying are good and profitable here. They're good and profitable for everybody. They're good and profitable here. This is a trustworthy statement. And concerning these things, I want you to speak confidently. Okay? So everything you said so far, this is good. This is trustworthy. People need to really hone in on this. It's kind of like when Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you. Verily, verily, right? When you get a, a launch like this into a text, you go, hold on, listen to this. 
Okay, this is a trustworthy statement. There's Paul's version of, if you haven't been listening yet, listen now. <laughs> this is a trustworthy statement concerning these things. He wanted Titus to speak confidently so that those who have believed God will be careful to engage in good deeds. These things are good and profitable, right? For everybody. Okay, now we could discuss the variety of ways that your good deeds could be profitable to, to all men. And we would see that uh, there's a lot of different things that you can do. And your good deeds could go to help uh, prevent starvation in people and malnutrition and dehydration and homelessness and all kinds of different things like this. Preventable diseases and so on. We could, we could make a big long list of things you could do to participate in helping to ease people's burden so that they can maybe focus on more important things in life instead of just surviving from day to day because most of the world is struggling to survive. We're, we're in a pretty privileged position, you and me, okay? Your deeds could make a person feel more loved, filled with, with more hope, cared for, protected, make them feel val valued and valuable, less lonely, hopeful, and, and so many other things. Your good deeds, the things you could do for someone, could help a person to afford the medical care they need, the hygiene products they need, a roof over their head that they need, the insurance that they need, uh, you name it, the basic necessities of life. You can do those things, and we should be doing those things. We ought to be doing those things as the Lord's church, a purified, redeemed people who are zealous for good deeds. That's, that's part of our purpose. We're supposed to be doing that. But listen to what Jesus said. And when I say but, I don't mean this is more important. I mean this is important to understand along with it. Do, do those things. Listen to what Jesus said about the ultimate purpose of our good deeds. Matthew chapter 5, verse 14 through 16. You've heard this before, right? Jesus said, you, his followers... You are the light of the world. Whew. If you think about that, that's a pretty big deal. I thought Jesus was the light of the world. Well, his truth, his story, is the light of the world. Who's got his story and his truth to go and share with people today? Is he down here, um, you know, flashing bright lights in front of people and saying, you know, Dennis, Dennis, why are you persecuting me? Not anymore. You're the light of the world. That's a big old responsibility, my friends. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket. Uh, there should be a little parenthetical statement that says, that's dumb. <laughs> that would be stupid, right? Nobody does that. Church does. But a lampstand, that's where you put it. And it gives light to all who are in the house. It benefits everybody that comes into that house. Verse 16. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Wow. Again, big old statement. You, we, are the light of the world. Guys, we are all this poor earth really has when it comes down to it. And so if we're not doing something, if we're not out walking the streets and doing what Jesus did, who is? You are the light of the world. And there's a reason why you're called that. We're supposed to be out there shining that light around so that everybody can see, right? Now, you don't do it for the pat on the back. You don't do it so people can see you. You don't do it to try to get in front of a news camera. None of that stuff. That's not what this is saying. It's so they can see it, right? What good does it do if you do something and nobody actually benefits from it, like, like a light shining in a room? If nobody gets to benefit from being able to see what's in the room and not trip and fall and hurt themselves, if no one is, is uh, shown a clear path by the light, no one is uh, prevented from being harmed because you showed them the light and is shown the right way to go because you shined the light, like if nobody sees that, 
It's like we took the, we, we, we plugged the lamp in, we, we turned it on, and then we're like, just put something over it. Wouldn't want anybody to see the light or anything. That's silly. That, that, that's pointless. We have the truth. Remember we said there's a lot of people doing good works without the truth. We have the truth. We have the ability to let our light shine in such a way that people can, can see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven who is able to save them from an eternity in hell. Where, I mean, let's get motivated, my friends. Well, let's do these things like Jesus said to do. Let's be careful to engage in good deeds. These things are, as Paul says, good and profitable for mankind, which is why we're told to be careful to engage in these good deeds. Told to be careful in these good deeds. Now, when he says be careful, he's not talking about being careful in the cautionary sense, right? Uh, we can all probably see that. He's not saying like, now be careful when you do it, you know, because he doesn't warn us of any danger. So he's not talking like that. He's saying you need to be intentional about this. You need to be diligent about this. Give this some, some thought. You know, we already said there's preparation involved. There's a prompting we need to understand the, the motivation behind it all, our purpose and everything else. So he's saying be diligent, focus on this. Hey, you can make it simpler and say you actually need to care about helping people. Okay, be careful to engage in good deeds, okay? Don't just go about your day uh, taking care of your business, chasing your goals, um, you know, working on your to-do list. We need, as Christians, as His possession, the Lord's possession that He's redeemed and purified, we need to consistently think of others and how we can help them, how we can ease their burdens, how we can sacrifice and go without and, and experience a little, little pain and, and difficulty and, and have to trust God to provide because we said, you know what? It's more important. Like, I, I know where I'm going. I know what's going on. I don't need all this stuff. I'm going to help that person so that they might glorify the Father who's in heaven. We've got to think about this stuff. The significance of this is all over our Bibles. Let's buzz through a, a few of these and then we'll wrap up. It's all over the Bible. Galatians chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. Uh, Paul encourages Christians here and reminds us of the reward if we don't get tired of it. <laughs> if we don't stop because we're wore out. You know, He says, let us not lose heart in doing good. For in due time, we will reap if we do not grow weary. So then, while we have the opportunity, let us do good to all people, and especially to those of the household of faith. Matthew chapter 25, verse 40, Jesus is speaking here, and he, uh, he tells us here that he takes our good deeds ser uh, personally. He takes them seriously, too, but he takes them personally, right? It says, the king will answer and say to them, truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. Now we know the context of this probably, but Jesus, he, he puts it in, in, on both sides and he says, if you don't help people, I take it personally. It's like you did it to me. If you do help people, I take it personally. It's like you did it for me and to me and you helped me, you served me. He talks about uh, clothing the naked, feeding the hungry, visiting those who are sick and in prison. All those things. He said, if you did it for other people, you did it for me. It's a credit as, you, as if you did it for me, for, for Jesus. So help that person that maybe you can't stand or you think maybe you can't stand. You might be surprised. Help anybody. Serve them. Do what needs to be done to ease their burden so they might glorify your Father in heaven and know, visualize, think, I'm serving Jesus. <laughs> Because he says that's exactly what you're doing. 
That's exactly what you're doing. Let's move on to the next one. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 and 18. Uh, Paul shows us that doing good, uh, good works, good deeds, it's more valuable, far more valuable than earthly riches, okay? So if you think like, well, if I did that, I'd have to give up this retirement account. I couldn't drive the newer car. I wouldn't have the bigger house. You know, hey, look, it's not as valuable. He says, instruct those who are rich in this present world. That's everybody in the United States, by the way. Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly supplies us with uh, all things to enjoy. Verse 18, instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, he says, to be generous and ready to share. That's going to be hard to do. We're going to have to let go of some things. But, but it feels so right. I mean, even reading it, you're like, yeah, yeah, let's do that, right? Hebrews 10.24 teaches us that part of our role as a church member is to encourage, to stimulate, to find ways to, to encourage each other to do good works, right? It says, let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. We're supposed to be uh, thinking about that, considering that, uh, helping to prepare one another to do good works. Hebrews 13, 16, it's there too. Do not neglect doing good and sharing, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. You see, this tells us that God is pleased when we do good works. We do good deeds. We don't just say, I got faith. That's all I need. Faith alone, baby. Faith alone. Faith alone. Faith alone. Just faith alone. It's all faith. That's all you need. God's pleased when we do good works. When our faith actually jumps into action and lives, you know, something like Jesus. It's kind of important. It pleases him. And, and speaking of, of faith alone. James chapter 2, verses 14 through 17 tells us that faith that isn't accompanied by good works, so you say you have faith, but you don't have good works, this passage, and there's more to it that you can read, it tells us that that's dead faith. Faith that isn't accompanied by good works is dead faith, and it says it can't save. This text says it can't save faith, can't save you. Claiming that you have faith but failing to engage in good works is only good enough to send you to hell. That's not very good, is it? Look at this, this, this portion uh, of this uh, longer passage that um, James writes here. He says, what use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but he has no works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothing and is in need of daily food. Okay, so we're, we're talking about physical needs here. And one of you says to them, ah, go in peace, be warm and be filled. We're praying for you. You can kind of hear it, right? If you say that, and yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? In verse 17, even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. I don't know about you, but that makes me want to start looking for and providing for those who are without clothing and in need of daily food. Anybody else? Anybody else uh, slightly convicted at the moment? I know I am. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you for those hands. 
Church, let's be careful uh, to engage. Careful to engage in these good deeds. Let's prepare to engage by behaving respectfully, uh, being obedient, kind, peaceable, gentle, creating that open door, that foundation we need to, to actually have opportunities to serve others. And let's, let's pay attention to that prompting to engage. Let's heed that prompting that we not only we feel from the burden that's been lifted from us, we've been set free. We've been forgiven and set free, but we also know it's part of our purpose, right? Let's remember those, those terrible circumstances that God redeemed us from. And let's remember that it's our purpose as those who have been uh, redeemed and sanctified, uh, purified. We are a possession of His that He did all that. Part of the purpose was so that we'd be out there doing good works, right? And then let's not hesitate, man. Let's, let's do it. Let, let, let's get engaged here. Let's begin to be profitably engaged in good deeds, remembering just how good and just how profitable. Remember all those scriptures we just finished going through. Just how good and just how profitable these good works, these good deeds really are.